maximize your sense of aliveness, gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. It is my great pleasure to open this space every Monday night where we can just sit down and start to speak and talk and think and process and feel in a critical way about health. And so my mission in the work that I do in in the realm of health specifically is to raise the level of understanding, I call it raising the bar on health, so that we no longer understand the concept of healthy, which now I think we would define it roughly as living without disease. Have you heard that? I'm not sick, so I'm healthy. That's how you define health. You don't have some kind of diagnosed illness, so everyone assumes you're healthy. They don't ask how many times a day you poop or how your joints feel or what the first thing you think about is when you wake up in the morning. Those are the things that would speak to me more about health rather than simply a level of disease. And so with this paradigm switching, what I'm trying to do is empower people to understand that there's an inherent vitality that lives inside of you and that that vitality itself is something that you can run off of for a really long time. And yet it's very rare that we tap into that inner vitality because we're always somehow, one way or another, drugging ourselves. Whether it's through actual drugs, anyone? (laughs) Or alcohol, or sugar, or coffee, or Red Bull. Or whatever your drug of choice is. Chocolate, I bet that's a big one. (laughs) Raise the hand, yeah. Yeah. I saw some hands in the back, very good. Some peace fingers also, yeah. Right? So we're just walking around, waiting for the next dose. When we have the most doses, an unlimited amount of doses, of whatever we could want, right here inside of us, in that area between your belly button and your pubic synthesis. Put your hand there. That's your Swadhisthana chakra. You, put your hand there. (laughs) He's like, oh my God, I'm called out. (laughs) Feeling myself up in class. All right, this is your center of power. Close your eyes. Put your hand there. Put your hand there. Close your eyes. Your eyes are closed. Now you can put your hand there. Feel safe. All the outliers against the wall. (laughs) All right, now feel between your hand and your body. Notice that this is the place where you feel butterflies in your stomach sometimes. If you've ever been in love, this place has come alive. If you've ever been nervous, Maybe you're not like me and you're not really comfortable going in public speaking anywhere, anytime. Imagine if you were seated in this chair up here instead of me, how would you feel? Some of you might feel something here. That nervousness is an echo of your aliveness, of your humanness. Those of you who have felt deeply angry at any time, Perhaps this area became tight. Those of you who have felt relaxed, fully fulfilled and calm, this area becomes loose. Notice how you can make it change under your hand. Make it tight, starting to work with the muscles interiorly, muscles of the pelvic floor. And then relaxing a nice big inhale into the belly, make it loose. And feel any kind of softness there. Underneath your hand are obviously your reproductive organs, the lower part of your small intestine, as well as the lower part of your colon, sigmoid colon. Your urinary tract runs through here. And those are all the parts of the anatomy and physiology. But on the energetic level, see if you can somehow pull this area under your hand in and up. This is the combination of what we call in yoga mula and udhyana bandha. Pulling it in and up. Sealing in that life force energy that exists right here under your hand. 
spend a few seconds experimenting and exploring there. And gently, slowly, as you're ready, allow your eyes to open. Come back into this space. Notice if anything has shifted or changed. Perhaps an awareness. Yeah? Do you remember? I see a huge smile on her face. Do you remember how powerful you are? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, I want you to wake up and go to the mirror and look at yourself in the eyes and ask yourself that question. Do you remember how powerful you are? Okay? That's your homework. We haven't even started class and you have homework. And then you can write me tomorrow after you do that and say, yes, I remember, or no, I've forgotten. And then we can talk about ways to remember. But tonight's class will be, I guess we just found our topic. I don't come with a topic, it comes with me. Tonight's class, perhaps, will be talking about ways to remember your power. Hmm? Yeah? Good. Okay. So, I usually start these evenings off with an introduction to my biases. I find it really important that anyone giving any kind of public lecture or teaching anything probably has some opinions, and I'm no exception to that. So I make the choice to just expose to you my biases up front, show you my cards, so that we're in this conversation honestly. Everything I do is rooted in natural hygiene, which is the science of fasting. It's a traditional practice, comes to us from more than 100 years ago. My teachers were pretty old, old dudes. And through the science of fasting or through the understanding of fasting, we understand the natural inherent thesis of natural hygiene, which is that the human body can heal itself. And that's not something that you were taught in school, so I'll give it a moment to sink in. The human body can heal itself. Does that mean that the drugs, especially the cacao, is it helping you or healing you in any way? That guy wants to say yes, I can tell. <laughs> Everyone's stuttering. Everyone's like, does she want me to say yes or no? It's okay. I don't, you can say either. You can say whatever you're feeling. No, he says no. I agree. It's not healing you. Even though we can make all these crazy scientific claims, right? Trust me, I hold cacao ceremony. I can give you tons of claims as to how chocolate will benefit you. Right? But truthfully, no, nothing. Nothing will ever benefit you more than you can benefit yourself by simply freeing yourself, freeing your body from the work that it does all day, every day. Does anyone know what work I'm referring to? Digestion. Yes. All day, every day. Who eats two or three times a day? Oh, there goes everyone's hands. Yeah, they're right. We never give this one system, our digestive system, a break. Most of you have gone through every single day of your life eating, every single day of your life. Digestion, that process itself, it can take up to 70% of all available energy. That's more than most of your energy. And you know this, right? I, I certainly know this, because guess what, guys? I ate. <laughs> this is for those of you who have been coming for a few weeks, I've been on a fast as of three days ago, two days ago, I don't remember now. Uh, I just did a 47-day fast where I wasn't eating for 47 days. Yeah, look, I'm not skin and bones. <laughs> Responsible fasting. So the, those of you who have been coming the past few weeks, I think they were only coming back week after week because they wanted to see if I was still alive. <laughs> I am still alive and thriving very well. But this journey back into eating, it's like, whoa, that's what it feels like to have stuff in your system? And I've been talking publicly a lot lately about 
my own personal yogasana practice. I have quite an intensive two-hour ashtanga vinyasa practice every morning. And oh my goodness, my practice has been soaring high. And then I eat. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> because you all of a sudden have things, right? There's traffic in the tunnel. There's a little more weight to carry in the belly. There's a di distraction or a diversion from this source of power. Whereas when I was fasting, only liquid passing through, there was no diversion or distraction. That power was readily available. Whenever I needed, I could drink it up. With food in the body, quite often that up to 70% of energy, it's reflected by blood flow. It draws in to the central gastrointestinal tract. And it makes you tired. You've had first-hand experience with this. I know because you're human. After last Christmas meal or Thanksgiving, or that night that you just decided to eat too much, what happened afterward? Yeah, you fell asleep, right? You got really tired. You were sleepy. You said, huh, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm not with you. I'm a little foggy right now. I just had a huge meal. Did you ever put two and two together and understand that that's maybe why you were tired? It's not the tryptophan in the turkey. Yeah. It's the fact that we've eaten too much of the incorrect combination of too many foods and the system itself is overwhelmed. And so what fasting is, again back to this science of natural hygiene, is removal of all of that chemical input Fasting can be defined as taking out any kind of solid fibrous matter from your diet for a certain period of time. And when that happens, all of a sudden there's this massive clarity that just blossoms. And that clarity comes not only on a physical level, fasting is literally the fastest way to heal. Meaning that in a fasting process, whatever it is that you need to heal, whether it's a broken bone or a cut, whether it's an emotional disorder, can we call it an emotional disorder? Emotional imbalance or physiological imbalance, high or low function of any kind of cardiovascular, high blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Any imbalance in enzymes in the body, ALT, for example, in the liver, liver deterioration. Right? If that's a hormone imbalance, that's a big one, ladies, huh? Whether that's with your thyroid or uneven periods, whatever it is. Fasting brings it back fastest to balance. It allows the body the time and space that it needs to heal itself. When unencumbered, when not distracted by all of that input, all of those drugs that we go around dosing ourselves with all the time, all of a sudden the body gets to say, ah, ah. I get to relax too. Because yeah, if you go to restorative yoga after you just had a big old dinner, the process of restoration isn't going to be as full as if you go to restorative yoga with full emptiness. Is that a paradox? Full emptiness? <laughs> to allow yourself to unwind into space versus filled space. All right, so I'll finish my biases and then tonight, uh, I'll definitely leave lots of room for questions because I'm going to talk to you guys about my 47-day fast and we can talk about whatever you're curious about in that vein. All right. So the rest of my bias is uh, natural medicine. I have a doctorate in naturopathy, which is the modern evolution of this. It's using non-interventive, non-pharmaceutical, non-surgical medicine right, to heal but I don't actually work even in the commercial naturopathy vein. I'm quite a radical because I'm a doctor of health, not a doctor of disease. You know, I focus on health. I take people who think they're healthy and I show them how much more there is to life and that power, reminding them of how powerful you are so that you can start to use that and live from that place. Other biases are uh, iridology, clinical iridology. You can look into your eyes and see a reflection of the map. 
of the rest of your body, which tells a lot about tissue integrity and innervation. The iris of the eye is kind of like live brain feed. You guys can come back. We're going to start trainings here, holistic health trainings, where I'm going to teach people things like iridology, and that's really exciting. We've started to do trainings in our wellness department. So put that on the bucket list. And also, uh, I have a master's of science in something called ethnobotany, which is the study of the relationship between people and plants. My specialty is food plants, gastroethnobotany. So studying who eats what, when, how, and how that changes over time. And that leads me to a big understanding of the evolution and the rise in dietary and lifestyle-related disease. This is something that is skyrocketing today, like it never has before. Diet and lifestyle-related diseases, things that I'm sure someone in your family has. Ready? Heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, cancer, obesity. Do those sound familiar? Yeah, my grandmother, my great aunt, my uncle. Yeah. Yeah. They are pretty much affecting everyone, everywhere. And they're inherently interlinked with something called the nutrition transition which is something that happened over the last hundred years in the Western world. It was much more of a slow transition. I should say the modern world because, right, Australia and New Zealand aren't in the Western Hemisphere. Sorry, Aussies and Kiwis, I don't want to leave you out. The modern world happened over a much longer time. And in places like Indonesia, in the less developed world, this transition, the nutrition transition, has happened over the last 30 years. And so this is what I did my master's field research on here in Bali, right? looking at the rise in consumption of certain things like refined products, like sugar and wheat. Right? Those are some of the drugs we talked about before, white powdered substances. Right? Sugar, wheat, definitely a rise in consumption of animal products of all kinds, so that's dairy as well as any kind of flesh. And a rise in consumption of hydrogenated oils. Those are the really bad guys. If there was a machine gun arsenal in the food aisle, it would definitely be in the oil section. Yeah? All right? So the rise in these, in accordance with a change in lifestyle, which no longer is as active, like the Balinese people, which you're befriending on this island today, their grandparents, and for some of them, their parents, were out in the rice fields all day, moving, walking around, doing things, pumping their lymphatic system by their movement. And what are they doing? They're sitting there with a sign saying, taxi, taxi, or they're sitting behind a desk being reception at a hotel, right? Very different lifestyle. We can see as the diet changes, as the lifestyle changes, that disease level skyrockets. And because it happened over the past 30 years only, in places like Indonesia, it's a little more alarming because it happened over a hundred years in places where I think most of you come from in the modern world, people tend to disconnect from it more. Right? So they develop cancer and they say, why me? Have you heard that? And you can't talk about it. My mother always sends me like hate mail, I get hate mail from my mother, <laughs> about the fact when I post and say that cancer is fully preventable and curable, she says her friends get angry. The ones who have cancer, of course. Yeah, and then we get into this discussion where it's like, yeah, sorry, mom. And my mom's going to listen to this. This is horrible. Right? But sorry, mom. It's preventable. People don't know, so it's not like it's a choice that they got cancer. But everything we do is creating our future self. Every choice we make, every inhale we take, every drink we drink, Every thought we think. Did I just write a Dr. Seuss poem? <laughs> That's a choice we make. Building our future self. And so a lot of what I spend this time in this room doing is trying to empower people to understand how your body responds to certain inputs. And when your body speaks up, what it's saying. I have a whole podcast on the podcast series, Signals from the Body. That's a way to interpret. It's like a code, a legend, to interpret everything that your body's saying to you at all times. So you can go home tonight and listen to that if you're curious. Hmm? But our body is always speaking. 
and it wants us to heal. Remember, its only trajectory in, in life is to heal itself. Constant repair, which would mean constantly getting younger rather than this whole myth of aging. Because right? the process of aging is not something that needs to happen. It's something that happens because we stop caring, we get lazy. Or some of us say, you know what, I'm just going to live a happy, easy life, which is totally fine. I have nothing, nothing against that. But when someone gets cancer or an autoimmune disease or especially develops you know, type 2 diabetes and then they say, why me? It's not so random. It has to do with not genetics but inheritance of habits. So you eat often what your parents ate or you stress out how your parents stressed out. Do you see that? So things appear to be genetic when indeed they're actually just hereditary. Do you see that? That's really important to distinguish. And also, the choice. What was it? What we eat, what we drink, and what we think have a huge effect on how we will become. We are always talking, communicating with each and every cell in our body. Trillions of them. And so that communication, once you learn how to tap into the motherboard, 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 it's right here. You have more nerve endings in your intestines than a cat has in its brain. And I know a lot of people who think their kitty cat's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're smarter right here, below the navel. Hmm? So, tapping into that power, learning how to use it so it can benefit you. And that'll transition us in toward, oh, I forgot my last bias before we transition. My last bias is indeed one toward the intestines. <laughs> I'm a career colon hydrotherapist and now a colonics teacher and the director of the colonics clinic here at the yoga barn. And so I have a large bias toward removal, toward pooping. How many times a day are we supposed to be pooping? Once per meal per day. Very good, returning students. You've passed. <laughs> Once per meal per day. That should be news to most of you if you've never seen my face before off the internet. Yeah? Who poops once per meal per day? I do this like once a month. So close. All right, raise your hand. I'll, I'll count that. All right, one of you and me. And yeah, he's close with you. You guys are compromises tonight. All right, two of you make one. <laughs> All right, so that, that was my data pool. Very good. I do that to see... That actually, you guys are a higher percentage, but I say quite often, 80% of the world today is constipated. And you've just proven that. And you're not necessarily a very even test subject because you're foreigners in Bali, right? You're at a yoga studio, and you came to a health lecture. <laughs> so you're not really an even test market, so we should kind of lower the percentage even more. And your definition of constipation is different than mine. Yours probably involves some grunting. My, that wasn't funny? <laughs> really? Do I have to make the sound effect? All right, let's try that again. Your definition of constipation is probably different than mine. Yours likely involves something like, Aah! whereas mine is pooping less than once per meal per day. Anything less than that. Something's coming in and it's not coming out, which means there's stagnation somewhere in the system. Right? There's a whole podcast on congestion. That was a pretty sad lecture that day. But check it out. Why not? There's a recording. And with that, we find that getting this moving and flowing is number one, usually. It's actually number two, but number one to living a powerful life. Remember? I said with the system clear the highway without traffic, letting go of that excess weight, and I'm, I'm not talking about fat, I'm talking about internal inflammation actually, right. allowing things to reset and balance out, that's so powerful. Mm -hmm. All right, so I did that just now for 47 days, that was fun, it really was fun, and uh, I don't expect any of you, please don't leave this room and try to go on to a 47 day or more fast. It's not necessarily something I advise. I often say that fasting is like a muscle. It's something that you build. And so with a weight, for example, you would first lift like a five kilo weight, 
you would get really comfortable with five kilos, and then you would try a 10, right? And then after that, maybe a 15. But if you didn't lift any weights and you went straight for a 20 kilo weight, it's going to feel really heavy. You might break your elbow. <laughs> you can't actually break your elbow. It's the head of the ulna, yeah. <laughs> there is no elbow. You can come to an anatomy class for that. Anyway, so yeah, go little by little. I have lectures on how to fast on your own on the podcast series. I encourage you. That's my challenge. I used to just challenge people to take a week of fruits and vegetables, but we're up-leveling the game. It's a new year somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to challenge all of you. This is your second homework, all right? This one's not due tomorrow. Over the next 365 and one-fourth days, the next year, I encourage you to experiment with fasting. And whether that means waking up and having water for breakfast, or whether that means going for a few days and proving to yourself your own power, tapping in to that internal source of energy rather than going through and dosing on drugs. Yeah. All right? Yes? Can you do it? You're always welcome to come back here for our three or our seven-day fasting retreat. I can support you in it if it makes you nervous. There's always help with your homework. There's like a study time or something. Okay? Yes? Can I have a yeah? Hallelujah! <laughs> yeah, that guy. Love him. All right. So, that was big homework. I laid it down. I'm laying it out. I am not playing small anymore. I'm sorry. All right, so fasting, 47 days of fasting. Why did I do that? Because I've been fasting for years. It was a new ground of experimentation for me. I don't teach from a place where I read it in a book once and I thought it was a good idea, so I'm going to tell you about it. No, I teach from my own experience. Things that I read in books, I try out on myself, I try out on thousands of clients, I find the results, and when the results show, then I share them. Yeah, so I'm here to share with you Anything from an arsenal of this lifetime ex of experience and whatever else I can access from past lifetimes. Yeah. And so, we have 25 minutes left and we can open to questions. I've never done that before, except a rainy day special. Yes, my love. Wah, wah. <laughs> Welcome to paradise. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten the wax, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go over the pathophysiology of what happened to her leg. Where did you go for your wax, may I ask? Mm, I think it goes to here, really small space, because the sense of taste, and I think it's only one. But there's only one place in Ubud that gives sugar wax, which, ladies, I would recommend it. It's called Skin Spa. I'm going to have to start taking kickbacks from them. <laughs> Skin Spa. Okay, next time, huh? Yeah? All right, but in terms of the other waxes, what they're using in salons, I mean, you don't really want to even enter a salon between the chemicals of the nail polish and the chemicals of the hairspray and the chemicals of the hair dye and the chemicals in the waxing and the this and that, and you get the point. It's like entering into a toxic cesspool. If we could actually see toxicity of certain places, there would be many aisles in the grocery store which you would choose to bypass, right? And so that's something to start picking up on, limiting the amount of toxins in your life. Yeah? Specifically in this case, however, with the wax, 
it, the, the toxins were going deep into the pores because as soon as you whoosh, tear off the hair follicle, you have there an open absorptive pore. They've put down usually some powder. Afterwards, they definitely put on some cream, which is my guess as to what you were intolerant to. But in general, the waxing itself was an exposure to toxicity in the wax. And then the pores are wide open, ready to receive. And so whatever they put on after it, your body drank up immediately. The reaction of that was inflammation. Was it red and warm? Yeah. Well, it was shiny because they put the, the polish on the other side. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So when we find the inflammation there, what that inflammation is, it's really your body's first healing response. When I talk about inflammation, I talk about like a, an ambulance system. You know an ambulance on the street? Not here in Bali because they don't really work because there's too much traffic. But it goes, and what color is the light? Red, exactly. Well, just like blood. More blood flow. I'm sorry for that sound for those listeners at home. That blood flow is coming to your leg wherever you were waxed. Was it only on one leg or both? Only one. But you got both waxed? Oh, it gets interesting. CSI Bali. All right. So in general, let's just, let's just go through the pathophysiology of the, the inflammation. When we look at the red flowing to the area, right? More excess blood flow to an area. This is indeed the body's natural healing response. It's bringing that excess blood flow to bring oxygen, life force, to heal, to help. Remember, the body always wants to heal itself. So that inflammation actually isn't such a bad thing. Unless there was some open wound, if gangrene set in, if we had like a really big problem, then your body's actually just healing itself. Say again? Wow, so you like cut yourself with your finger or something you're saying? <laughs> okay. So there we go, open wound in the area. So yeah, so chance of infection, all right? Chance of infection. Let's, let's move away from the waxing since it was only one leg, right? We'll give the spa a break. You should still only go to skin spa, right? Anyway, we'll find then that the infection itself is actually able to take care of itself. For example, what happens when you have an infection? Go through the process with me. I know you've all, you've all had some kind of wound. What happens when you have a wound? Okay, I love it. So it, it might first get bloody. She's like, she loves my pus. <laughs> you guys, you skip the blood stage, straight to the pus. All right, well, the pus and the blood, they're both fluid. They represent the two main parts of our circulatory system, the blood and the lymph, all right? The blood which is obvious, it brings and transports different materials in their body, whether they're toxicity, so something that the body wants to get rid of, all that blood flow is flowing to your leg, it's swelling, and then it's going to take anything that doesn't belong there and flush it out. Right. Or the lymph, even better. The lymph is essentially antibacterial gel. You know those little hand pumps? Boop, boop. You have them all throughout your body inside, right? Your appendix. Right here, at your throat, you have your adenoids. Some of you might have your tonsils. Yeah. And these little parts of the lymphatic system go and squeeze out antibacterial gel, essentially, lymphatic fluid. When we look at the substances in the body, be it saliva right, or be it blood, these are some of the cleanest substances on earth. You ever want to clean something, spit on it. And so anyway, this pus that your body's giving off in the wound, is, it's a self-cleaning mechanism, especially if it's oozing out, especially if it's oozing out like yellow or orangish or greenish, right? 
It's getting rid of that toxicity. It's taking it out. What will happen next in your healing? I'm going to go with pus girl. Oh my god. I'm sorry. I just called you pus girl. Sorry. Might go scabby. All right. I love it. So scab, we can, we can call you no, okay. Scab. What is the scab? I'm not going to talk in your direction anymore. I'm digging myself in a hole. What is the scab? Help me, please, out of this hole. Yes, I love you. It's protection. It's your body's own band-aid. You see that? It's putting over a hard outer layer so that it can begin to heal. So the next thing you said was that then from under, from inside out is how healing happens. Yeah, from above, from below. One layer of skin and then the next, they start to repair. And they build up until they reach the scab. And then what happens? Up, the band-aid fell off, no longer needed, already repaired under. Look at that, your body heals itself. How powerful is that? If I tried to sell you a bandage, <laughs> which would self-clean, get rid of the toxins, cover it up, allow your skin to repair under it, and then fall off automatically when it's no longer needed, would you buy it? You betcha you would buy it, but guess what? You already have it. That's the power. Inside of you are all the medical inventions that you could ever wish for. You just have to trust them. And so what happened when she went to take the antibiotic? What happened inside of her emotionally? What happened with her relationship with her body? She didn't trust. It's okay. We all learn. She wasn't trusting her body. Perhaps fear set in. Perhaps your mother set in. Who knows? No, not your mother, because your mother's, your mother's good. Perhaps the friend you're traveling with. That fear, you know, of infection. That definitely came with allopathic medicine, the idea of infectious disease. Right? The guy who invented germ theory said about 10 years later, that was the number one biggest mistake of my career. <laughs> and yet we all still believe it today. But the truth is that any kind of infectious agent, right? like the cold around the office, has anyone had a cold go around their office or their school? You guys are a bit of a young group <laughs> tonight, the school, yeah. All right. And it's like everyone's catching a cold. Have you heard this? We assume that things go this way. Oh, he gave me the cold. He can't give you anything. We have bacteria flying around us at all times. We have bacteria inside of us as well at all times. That's what builds up our own immunity. And if we have a really healthy immunity inside, then no matter what flies by, it ain't able to land here. Do you see that? Seeds can only be planted in soil that's ripe for it. It's only if you have a low immune system that you'll end up with that cold in the office. Or that wound from your leg wax slash wound. <laughs> I know, yeah. And so, a lot of the work that we do is coming to trust the body. And over years of doing this work of tapping into my own inherent vitality, this power that I speak of, that's developed this relationship of trust. And so now that I've gone through this fast, and I'm really, I'm, I'm here to share. One of my employees, Michael, says that he wants to donate my body to science. That's okay. We can do that. But for now, I'm going to be the scientist in this living laboratory. And I'll report back to you my data very frequently, as frequently as you want. And in that data, people write me back. Of course, all the, oh, it's so inspiring messages, and the, how do you do that? And I can't get past day one, right? All of those, I get them all the time. I answer messages publicly on my Facebook page. It's the only way to contact me publicly. And we find that all of the answers to all of those questions have to do with your relationship to your body. And so this brings us directly back to your homework assignment for tomorrow and also the one for this year. Reminding yourself 
your mind specifically, how powerful you are. This embodiment, embodiment. The body itself is powerful. We found it's the best medical invention ever. Self-healing, self-cleaning, self-defecating, <laughs> yeah, self-nourishing to a certain extent. And embodiment, the in part, means that something's inside this body, that you are not this body. But rather there's inspiration, there's breath, spiritus, spirit, living inside of this body. And that's what you are. This body is just a ride. It's this vehicle through which we transit our life. Tapping into our power is remembering our essence. And as we tap into that, we realize it's probably a good idea to read the user's manual <laughs> to this body. First thing, step one, turn off the engine and let it rest. That's fasting. It's allowing your body to just be without this constant process of digestion. The drug hits that you've taken throughout your whole life have built up you have enough inside of you to last for some time without needing more. It's just a matter of trusting enough to start that process, building that relationship of trust so that you can act from there and tap into your power whenever you want. Hmm? Is there a question somewhere here? Yeah. Good question, good question. And I want to talk a little bit more about the fast too. Maybe I'll talk first and then I'll answer the question, yeah? So the, the fast itself, um, just for those of you who haven't been tapped in, it was a juice feast, which means I'm drinking two to three liters of juice a day when I have time. Some days I didn't drink that much, but uh, this is a large quantity of still nutrition, nourishment coming into the body. At least half of that was green juice. Yeah, And with that juice, along with water, my body was able to run with the digestive system being turned off. When liquid only comes into the body, there's no process that happens to turn on digestion. The liquid is absorbed inside directly from the stomach. Nothing needs to pass through the intestinal tract. Things get to slow down and shut off. The digestive system effectively shuts off with no fibrous matter entering the system over a period of three days. After that is when deeper healing begins to occur. Right? So I mentioned that I'm a natural hygienist. Any natural hygienist listening to this lecture would say, no, she's not. She was drinking juice. That's my natural hygienist accent. <laughs> All right. Because natural hygienists truly are water fasters. And I do have water fasting as the backbone of my practice. We would never do a 47-day water fast, not usually. Right? Water fasts are somewhere three to four weeks in length, like a month in time. Right? The human body can, however, thrive and survive for 40 to 50 or more days on water alone. But that's a very different paradigm because there's no more nutrition coming in. There's only water, the river running through, flushing out anything that comes. So the body's at a bit of a standpoint. However, even though I'm a water faster, Bali is not the place for water fasting. The place for water fasting has to be pristine, right? super chemical free, not this island. Sorry if you thought you were in paradise. Water fasting needs a place that is free of things like electromagnetic frequencies, EMF radiation, things like this, cell phone towers, all of that. Right? If you could count the number of wireless networks that you're currently in the field of, you don't have enough fingers and toes. Yeah. And it has to also be done in a place with clean water, fresh mineral spring water to be precise. And we don't unfortunately have that here in Bali because through the Green Revolution, which wasn't as good as it sounds, 
in the 1970s. Tons of petrochemicals and fertilizers were dumped upon the fields here in this island and all over Indonesia. And those chemicals seeped down into the water table. Right? So even spring water itself isn't clean enough. Yeah. Moreover, water fasting should be done in a place that's calm and in a space where you have very little, if any, stress. Those of you who might have known me for long enough realize that my job is quite full, full on, and a, bit, a little bit stressful. <laughs> right? So water fasting just hasn't matched. And so after three years of being here, it was less than three years, six months ago in January, I said, all right, I've got to figure something else out. And so I tried this thing called juice feasting, which was really cool. It blew my world. I love when things blow my world. Because all of a sudden, I had almost all of the positive physiological benefits of fasting, the clarity, both of body as well as of mind, of emotions, of skin, of eyes, of everything. Right? Clarity, that's what happens when we fast. Not all of that chemical input, all of a sudden things are just clear. And you come back, come back to balance. I received the benefits of fasting without the drawbacks. And that was tremendous. I could still work while juice feasting because I was taking in calories. I had tons of energy. And I didn't have those negative physiological symptoms like feeling lethargic or low blood pressure, whatever it is. And so then after doing it for 30 days in January, I was like, whoa, I could have gone on. And so I knew that later in the year I would want to do a longer juice feast. So it was planned for. I spent two months gaining weight beforehand so that I could stay. I look okay, right? You can't see what I'm wearing tonight. You can't see under. But yeah, I look, I don't, you couldn't tell that I wasn't eating for the past 47 days, right? No? Yeah, I don't think so. You wouldn't stop me on the street and say, you're famished, eat something. All right? So yeah, I did it really responsibly. And I left myself two months. So coming in to answer your question toward there, I also took some challenges that I didn't take in January to try to modify and experiment a bit further, specifically my Ashtanga Yoga practice. This super rigorous, has anyone ever practiced Ashtanga Yoga? Yeah, has anyone gotten past primary series, intermediate? Yeah, okay, so when you guys do that, you let me know. Yeah, it's called Nadi Shodan. It's the nerve cleansing series. Doesn't that sound scary? Nerve cleansing. Right? We're not working on your body or your mind or your muscles or your bones or even your fascia. We're going straight to the nerves. That's exactly how it is. Yeah, it's a cleansing for the nerves. Right? I used to say that like the two-hour practice that I had was it had to be equivalent physiologically to a triathlon. I mean, all of those jump-throughs and jump-backs, lifting yourself up, putting your foot behind your head, bending backward, grabbing your heels, all of these feats, right, that we don't do in a place like the yoga barn. Maybe some of them Denise does in power yoga. But other than that, we don't really do too much advanced asana practice here. And that's, that's not a criticism of the teachers or the students, right? That's simply what is most of the world today are beginners in yoga. And that's cool because we've got to start somewhere. But after 15 years of practice, maybe we crave more. And this has served me more. But in a way where truly, physiologically, it's equivalent to like a triathlon. So during my 47-day fast, I was running a triathlon six days a week, every morning at 6.30. And I was more powerful than ever. Because that power is so ripe and ready when that's all you're feeding off of. When you stop taking those drug hits, and this is in your eating everyday life as well, when you stop getting that stimulus from outside, your body taps into it inside. It's like the reserve. You see? But it's a reserve that never empties. It's a reserve that's always there and a reserve that you were born to use because our bodies are created to go through cycles of feast and famine. And feast and famine, it's woven into our DNA. But today, what do we have? Endless 
feast. Yeah? The famine ain't coming no more. And so giving ourselves these periods of time out, of rest, of stop, of renewal, of regeneration. Guess what, guys? Remember when we talked about the cold going around the office and immunity? Fasting is the number one fastest way to boost immunity. There was a study done at the University of Southern California, probably two years ago now. It was a study done on chemotherapy patients, so not healthy people. (laughs) Three-day water fast. There they were, fasting. Immediately, you start to notice white blood cell count goes down. I did blood tests during my 47 days. My white blood cell count was in the normal, but it was lower than normal. White blood cell count goes down. As soon as they refeed, white blood cell count goes up higher than it was before the fast. This is a marker of immunity, right? Defenders are at their best. Other thing that completely correlates during the three-day period of the fast, the scientific study found old leukocytes, lymphatic cells, parts of your lymph system that were no longer up to date, no longer working, no longer needed or dirty, they were recycled thrown out. New ones were brought to life. That is a reset of your immune system, if I've ever heard of one. Three days. Cancer patients. Boost in health. Imagine what it could do for you. Yeah? So, when we look at this time period, a fast, any kind of length, of a fast, whatever you want to start to experiment with over the next 365 days. I'm going to keep reminding you of your homework in case you forget it. (laughs) This is for those of you listening too. Don't think you got out of the homework. We find that this is really one of the best things that you could ever do for yourself. Some of you might have thought it was to go on holiday to Bali. Maybe you were right. Maybe that was to bring you to this lecture, which has the potential to change the rest of your life. Because when you tap into that power, you realize that anything is possible. When you restore that relationship of trust with your body, life starts to have a whole new meaning. There is no, why me? Because you are in control with every decision that you make. So, to your question, I forget what it was. What made me make the fast? All right, so I left myself 60 days, right? That was the time period of like how my workflow was going, making sure that I would have a comfortable time to break the fast, all of this. Uh, And I said, all right, let's see. Let's see how we go. I'll I'll probably definitely go to 45 because that's at least 50% longer than the 30 that I did before. And around day 45, actually, I, around maybe even day 42, I was like, something about this has shifted. And I'm not sure if it was the juices that I was drinking, because at that point I, I, did, I wasn't as creative, let's say. Um, but I said, it's no longer the same. Yeah, it's not exciting. My body doesn't feel like it wants more of a break. It's kind of like if you've ever been on vacation, and you're like, yeah, this is, this is fun, but I kinda, I'm ready to go back to work. Has anyone felt that way ever? I won't be surprised if so, and don't be embarrassed to say it, right? You're ready to go back to work. What is work? Work is purpose. It's doing your purpose here on earth. Yeah, hopefully right now I'm in my dharma, I'm doing my purpose here on earth. And so I started to get that sense of this is no longer dharmic, if you will. Yeah, like uh, it's time to eat soon. And I knew I wasn't proving anything. It wasn't about a number. And it wasn't necessarily a feeling of hunger, because true hunger is something that happens maybe 47 days on water. It's a call from every single cell in the body. You need to eat now or else. I I mean, I still had fat that I could have lived off of. I definitely still had nutrition coming in. Um, It was just something changed, and I, I can't quite... Pin, pin, pinpoint it yet. Maybe check with me at the end of next year after I do another extended fast. Yeah, I'll wait a while. I promised my roommate. <laughs> right. Imagine all the food that he ate in 47 days while I ate nothing. 
If you could, it would like fill up the entire room. He's a big eater. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And so, I mean, the true answer to your question, I, I almost don't have one. Actually, you answered it. I did answer it. Okay, good. Okay. Beautiful. All right. Somehow that time passed really fast. We might have time for one more question. Something in relation to the 47-day fast. How can I say no to that phase? <laughs> About what? Ayurvedic fasting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it depends on what you're drinking. Um, I mean, oil, I'm not a fan of in general. I'm pretty public about this by now. Oil is the most uh, misunderstood, let's say, modern food like product in the world. I say food like product because it's not a food, yeah, it's a derived food. What does oil come from? Anyone? <laughs> Coconut. <laughs> Olives. Peanuts. Corn. Flaxseed. <laughs> Very good. You all got it right. Peanuts. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Someone already say that. <laughs> yeah, oil is the byproduct of some plant product. It's pressed out. Sometimes it's refined, hydrogenated, cooked, yeah, boiled like coconut oil and body. But it's not a whole food. What it was pressed out of was the whole food. For example, olive oil. Right? But olive oil's the good fat, she says. Yeah, good fats, bad schmats, fats, lats, whatever. It's a processed food. You see that? The olive itself is the whole food. When you press it and you take away all the vegetable fiber as matter, you're left with 100% fat. That 100% fat is something very confusing for your human bloodstream. That is the number one thing to clog up or confuse the human bloodstream, especially when in the 100% oil form. Right? And so if you're taking that straight in with no fiber at all, then there's nothing to mitigate the process. And so the oil goes direct into the blood. So it's a big calorie boost. Right? There are certain things to be said about fat because, of course, you guys know the fatty foods. Right? You love them. There are things like fried foods, ice cream, cheese. Yeah? Who loves cheese? No? <laughs> That's good. Okay, I have one honest person in the room. The rest of you are vegans. Cool. All right. But all of these foods, the reason that you love them so much is because they are a concentrated version of calories, just like that tablespoon of oil that you might put in your green juice. Well, that sends a direct dopamine shot to your brain. It's the same thing that happens when you snort cocaine. So there we are, dosing up again, this time on oil. So as for the Ayurvedic reasoning, this has a lot to do with lubrication. I think traditionally ghee would have been used, right? which is another form of fat, a derived high concentrated fat. And uh, we find that the idea, more energetically than physiologically, is to lubricate, to lubricate the system and induce release or cleansing. So oil is not something that I would ever want to use during fasting. Um, some things that people choose to juice today, like carrots, it's often said that certain parts of uh, the nutrition of carrot juice actually cannot be absorbed without some kind of fat-soluble uh, presence or fat to be soluble inside of. Um, so that could be a reason as well, depending upon what the juice recipes for Ayurveda are. Um, but I wouldn't, yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend it. Wink. Yeah, cool. So I don't know if I have a lecture up. Uh, you know, I, I gave a, a pretty cool lecture probably six months ago now about uh, indigenous systems of healing. And I tried to record it, but the recording stopped halfway, so that one didn't make it out. But I'll give that lecture again, maybe if you come back, uh, not next week, but maybe the week after, uh, we can do that one. And I talk a lot more, because Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, whereas uh, I have a lot of respect for them, uh, and I've studied them for many years, they aren't actually ancient, right? Three to 6,000 years isn't that old 
as an evolutionary anthropologist, I go back three to four million years. Right? And that's the kind of fasting that I'm talking about. That's ancient. These are actually modern medicines of civilization. So a bit of a different paradigm. It's a great question. Conversation to be continued. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now.